witness to the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burnt and purged away. Okay, in case you didn't recognize it, that was Hamlet. What does Hamlet have to do with Real Housewives? Well, we're going to get into that when we analyze Real Housewives of Beverly Hills this week. Before that, we're going to talk about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City reunion. We're going to talk about how the Mormon culture influences the reaction from the cast towards the Monica revelations. And also what this show is saying about the interaction with the Bravo community, the fan community as a whole. So if this is the type of content that you like, be sure to like and subscribe. We're gonna dive into it right away and I hope you enjoy it. It was a total blast. Hello and welcome to the Bravo Outsider Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Midwinter. Dylan is haunting a villa in Spain this week. So joining me this week is Sandra Cloak. Welcome back, Sandy. Hey, I'm glad to be here again. <laughs> we're uh, we're also pleased to be joined by the force behind the Brunch and Bravo Instagram account who has a brand new podcast called I Take Bravo Very Seriously. It's Dana Mandel. I'm an acquired taste. If you don't like me, acquire some taste. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's a Ramona one, but it is a good one. Yeah, it is. It, it is. is a great one. Yeah, and it's so you say true unfortunately, to me. You're, uh, what uh, what colors your perspective on Ramona? I mean, I love Ramona as a character, but just like all the horrible things she says out, right. out loud, right? Like it's just it's it's hard to continue to support her at this point. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so let you obviously have a lot of context on Bravo. You are not an outsider like we typically have on, but one of the things that we like to do is like take people who are insiders and really, you know, take a step back from inserting ourselves into the drama and look at it as as art. So I'm excited to explore that that with you. But do you want to give viewers just a little context on like uh, your the accounts that you run and your your new podcast? Sure. So I guess my journey sort of started with VPR. Um, loved it, obsessed with it. And then when Scandivals happened, I sort of felt like alone in it because I'm in Toronto for some reason. No one in Toronto is into Bravo. And that's just when I started finding Bravo podcasts. And that led me into the idea of wanting to do my own podcast because I've always had such opinions. It's almost like a like a book club, right? Like we, we want to talk yeah. about our favorite shows and give us our opinions and themes. And and like you said, our, the art of it. I love that you consider it that, right? The outsider might consider it something very like annoying and stupid to watch. And oh, you watch that sort of trash. But there really is such an art to it. And totally. um, there's such a line that's so true about this kind of thing. Like, it's so bad, it's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I started running Branch and Bravo. Mostly, it's 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 memes, it's um, celebrity news, reality TV news, um, and like little clips of shows and things like that. But mostly I got it started um, to build a following for the podcast. So my goal long-term is to do this podcast as a job. And I'm really excited about it. I talk all things Bravo, all things reality TV, uh, recapping shows. And there's a lot of them on right now. So that's what I'm yeah. doing. So you can, <laughs> yeah, I've got Brunch and Bravo. And I've also got the Instagram account. Um, I take Bravo very seriously where I'm just updating you guys on the show. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned how, you know, you don't encounter a lot of people that follow Bravo in real life. Or I don't know if it's that there's not many people out there or it's just not something that people tend to like bring up in in conversation but when Maybe. you do like make that connection with people you feel like a certain like kinship yes. with them as soon as yes. as soon as it comes up and that is one of the things that i really love about the the bravo community like as soon as you like get that bond and you know you've got this shared kind of um uh fandom that mm -hmm. is like it almost feels like a bit of a dirty secret because of those opinions that you talk about that people have towards reality tv it's so and true. it's like i don't want to bring this up because i know how people like view that um but yeah once you make that connection i find that you know you really do have like a strong connection with people it's so uh, true it's funny because i went to uh, the giggly squad live uh oh, tour nice. in toronto and it was packed and I'm looking around like, these are my people, like, but <laughs> yeah. do I walk up to them? <laughs> right? like, I was just for the first time in Toronto surrounded in a room of my people. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, I want to be friends with these people, but I didn't know how to sort of yeah. encounter that in a normal way. But <laughs> hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was like, so we're based in, in Winnipeg and oh. not a lot of uh, Bravo personalities like 
come here but james kennedy did come here last <laughs> he week he did how was and, it <laughs> um i didn't go i was like oh my god i'm like a 37 year old man and i like what am i gonna do at a james kennedy show honestly and, it's so like, true <laughs> he came to toronto and i didn't go either i'm not gonna go to a club right i'm 40 i'm not going to the club <laughs> you know? but but then like all the instagram stories afterwards that we saw it looked like it was just insane like yeah. i had such like fomo afterwards yeah. it was um it did look like an insane time and i i think there's a lot of people that have like very differing views on James Kennedy. Like he's a, a kind of a polarizing figure. Um, but you know, say what you will about him. He, he I can't think of another Bravo celebrity that can whip up a, a crowd into a frenzy. Like he can, uh, mm-hmm. campus Luann has her like cabaret, which obviously is a huge draw and people get excited about, but it doesn't have the same like level of energy. And I think mm-hmm. like James Kennedy is actually legitimately good at what he does and that, oh, yeah. you know, and in being a DJ. And I think that that like really, uh, helps sell his, his events. So if he comes through again, I, I'm definitely there. I hear Tom Schwartz is coming to Toronto and I think it'll also be some sort of club appearance. So I'm debating. I'm also like not just too old to go to a club, but also like too old to have a friend that would accompany me to a club. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to that myself, right? Like that's, that's embarrassing. So, but you know, like I, that is the fun part of also this community of going to these events, right? Like would have been cool to be invited to the VPR premiere party, but I don't know, maybe next year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that someone comes through on a book tour or something, because that would mm. definitely be a little bit more my speed. Totally. <laughs> Love it. So today we are going to talk about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City Reunion Part 3, as well as the latest episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Were either of these like more compelling to you? Is there a place that you'd like to start? I guess we'll start with the Salt Lake City Reunion, since it like happened first, and we've been like pining and waiting for it for so long yeah Um, totally I guess if I were to give it sort of one word I'd probably say disappointing because we were just sort of waiting for it we like had to like wade through those first two reunion episodes to like get to the meat of it and be like okay Monica say what you have to say and it just didn't change our view and it didn't really give us more information and then the black eye also didn't give us any more information so I sort of left feeling like yeah that was such did I get any actual information tonight you know what I'm saying (laughs) yeah I I feel like it would be really hard to um top the finale right anything that followed that is going to be a letdown because that is like one of the best moments that I've seen on on reality tv um but there were some things that I liked about it I um I guess the big news off screen is that Monica will not be returning right. for the next season. And a lot of the rumors and the nastiness surrounding that is that all the women have stated that they will not film with her when she, re- if she were to return. And so that's right. kind of what motivated it. And I'm like pretty disappointed in that. I expected better of some of these housewives. Like I, I think like um, one thing that we've talked about on these shows is like the housewife IQ, the like the ability to um, know what is good television and how to play like the housewife mm-hmm. game. And right. I feel like um, maybe overall Salt Lake City does not have the best like housewife IQ. There's not the most skilled at the housewife game, but there are some people that I feel like, like Whitney, for example, I think she's very good at at playing that game. And I would have expected better of her. I would have expected her to see the opportunity to like bring Monica back and really like stir up chaos. I I have to give them credit though. Like Monica really went out in a flaming ball of glory. Like, I don't know that you can come back from that. And without suspending way too much disbelief on this is good for the show, actually have her around that group and believe that this is in any way real. Like she really went all in and all out and it was a bit of a one of a kind situation. And I can't really imagine her coming back with authenticity. I don't know. that That's what it is. It's the authenticity, right? And Heather said it best. This show is about a group of friends. At its core, whether or not they spend time together off screen is one thing, but she's just so removed from the friend group at this point. And Andy has sort of talked about this in the past, like about Brandy, for example, where she had alienated herself to such a point that it just sort of wasn't possible to bring her back in way back when. And the same situation has happened here. I mean, there's been so many theories and speculation as to like what she could have said to maybe have swayed the women's minds, but I really just don't think that was possible. And 
the only way I think this could have continued is if somehow, like how she said that Gossip Girl wouldn't be Gossip Girl forever, but Gossip Girl went on for what, eight seasons? So if somehow she was able to keep this under wraps to like season seven or season eight and it's reality bonties, then great, right? But because the boom happens, it's over. What the, what the show is about is these women talking to each other about their lives, trusting each other. And that's what I wanted to sort of mention in terms of like the artistic analysis. There's trust here. This There's the core theme of trust. And wh- if there is no trust, there's no show. Or there is a show, but there's no you on that show. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. if, they, if you can't come over to my house and I can't tell you what's going on between me and my husband because you're going to post about it online or I'm afraid you're going to, or I'm afraid you're going to watch me on my security cameras. I mean, like how, <laughs> how can she come back? Right. I mean, it's, it's not that she wasn't good TV and it's not that she wasn't good for the season. I'm not saying any of that, but it's just not organic or feasible. Yeah. I, I think that like there was a way I, I feel you know? like she could have performed better at this reunion for sure. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she, she did not set herself up for a comeback. Um, but they also weren't like buying what she was selling at all. Like, I think that the it's with Monica. I think one of the things that makes her really interesting is that now it's hard to parse what is true and what is like exactly. a lie. Exactly. Um, but I, I do think that there is truth in her saying, like, this account was about exposing Jen. And I feel like there is truth in that, you know, the things that she was posting, like what Heather was most work, worked up about was reposting things that Jen had said that were awful about Heather. And I think that Monica was being truthful when she said that she was posting these things in order to like expose Jen and how horrible she was. And I think that, you know, Heather just could not see that perspective. She was too far, like dug into the, um, into her position that she just couldn't be moved. And it's not like Monica is the only one of these women that have a complicated relationship with the truth. I mean, Heather as well, this whole storyline with the black eye and how she has been, you know, cagey about it and then using it for, um, for impact, but still not giving the full truth is, is really um, just an example of her, and how she manipulates the truth as well. And it's, you know, two sides of the same coin in, in that respect. So I, I do think that if either side was willing to move a little bit and try to find a little bit of resolution, that there was room for her to, to grow. But yeah, I think you're bang on that in its current form, like what actually happened, there's there's no way that she could come back from this. Yeah. Even though now they're using the word pause, apparently they're not allowed to use the word fired anymore. But the other thing about that is like we, she's definitely not coming back for next season because they've started filming or they're going to be starting filming on February the 5th. But she didn't have enough of an, I don't know, I don't want to say enough of an impact, but we only knew her for a season. So for us to remember her for season six or seven, like, so when they talk about that, like, oh, would she come back? Would we want her? I think we'll have forgotten about her by then unless she goes on the traders or like does something House of Villains or something else, right? (laughs) Unless she's doing something else in this realm, we'll forget about her. Unlike Jen Shaw, who refuses to allow us to forget about her because she's (laughs) tweeting from prison. But unless Monica like finds a way to keep herself relevant for the next year in this space, I... I don't see how she has any future because she just didn't have that longevity. Or it's like when we bring back people from past seasons, it's because they have a history, right? Like I mm-hmm. can't imagine her coming back and being, there's no history there. There was, you were a one and done, unfortunately. Which is, which is yeah. sad. And she's, she's really fascinating. Like I thought what I liked about the reunion was just like seeing Monica so laid bare. Like she, I do believe that she does really want to be a part of this group. And you can kind of see that yeah. rawness in certain moments, like even in the middle of this chaos of who said what, there was a moment where she, it was about Angie being in the mafia or whatever. And she turned to Meredith with this like hurt look on her face and Meredith. And she's like, what? And she's like, we had a conversation. Like as if it was, as if in the midst of all of this, like there was something sacred about this off camera conversation. And just, it was kind of, it was just sad. And like, she, she's just such a hurt person, right? Like we know this from whatever is however she's been raised and and the way she dealt with that account because on the note of Heather being upset I don't blame Heather for being upset about someone resharing over and over horrible insults sure you could say it's 
to show how bad Jen was, but Monica lacks some self-awareness there on how that's affecting people. So you can go both ways, but she, she's kind of just acting and, but she really wants, she wants a connection with these women. And you could see how hard she actually really wants to be on the show genuinely. At least that's how I took it. And I find, find that pretty fascinating. And I'm interested in both of your perspectives. We've talked about Monica as a villain and how effective she's been. Does that true, like raw, like genuine desire to be like seen and seen as a friend and in, in the group, does that make her a better villain, a worse villain, just a real person? Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that we've, we've talked about just how on reality TV, we get characters with a, a level of complexity that we don't see in a lot of other forms of, of art. And I think Monica is like a fantastic example of that. Cause like, yeah, obviously we can identify her as being a villain uh, this season, but I think like just looking at everything that we've seen from her, she's also a very, very sympathetic person. Like we can see how her childhood trauma it like manifests in so many different ways over the course of the season that i think like even without that big reveal at the end of salt lake city it still would have been such a compelling and great mm. first season for mm. a housewife because there's so much like nuance to how she reflects her relationship with her mother towards all the other women on on the cast and how like people like lisa barlow they they take on one form of this maternal role that she is able to like, that's, that's why they've got this, this conflict. But in other cases, like with, with Heather, there was a more nurturing nature to it. And so I found that that like dynamic was really made her a sympathetic character. And one of the like motivations that I think was at her core is like finding acceptance because she's got all these issues relating to abandonment. And that's why I am so disappointed that she's not coming back for a second season, because I think like being cast off, from this group and feeling like abandoned by them for something that she doesn't perceive as being this, like this great sin. Uh, I think it would be really compelling to see her trying to win back this group and see her grow from it and learn from it. And I think that that just would be uh, an amazing arc to, to, to watch. I didn't think about that. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I don't hate it. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> oh, it's, you know, and I actually have a very similar relationship with my mom. I don't think she listens to podcasts. So I don't think I have to worry about it. But, you know, I really resonated with that. And people online were saying, or even within the cast were saying a lot about her, you know, well, then why bring her to this event room? Why invite her to your house for Christmas? Or why do you have her around your kids? It's so complicated. Like when you have this tumultuous relationship with a parent, it's not this simple matter of you're cut out of my life every day, always. It's a very back and forth. Like I didn't speak to my parents from Father's Day until maybe November. And then there was a good chunk of time where I was really speaking to them. So it's, you know, like it's not that right. simple matter. And yeah, they've done things to me in the past that are horrible. And if I were to tell a friend that, they'd be like, how do you ever speak to them again? Right. But it's just not that simple. And so I feel like, again, what makes this such art is an another way it makes this such art is that um, there's ways that the audience can connect to these characters personally based on what they're going through as well. So she was definitely giving that as well. Um, but I just want to mention something that sort of ties in here where, um, Sandy, you mentioned like, she's a very hurt person. She's like this broken person based on like what she's been through growing up. I think all of these women have based on this like culture they grew up in this Mormonism. Cause when you, totally. cause, because yeah, we didn't get a lot from Heather and she's still a liar as well. And, but if you, if you read her words and you, look at the interviews that she's done or watch what happens live the fear of jen i had to you know i was terrified of her will if you look at all of that or you even look at the way monica acts or all these women act it's a very I hate to use the word like cult like you know like they were brought up in this way of we need to follow a leader oh we don't have a leader anymore we're not in we're not part of this culture anymore now we have to find another one and that became jen right and so it's just how they were brought up. It's it's probably internalized that they don't even realize it because I haven't even really heard this come up. But I really think that this whole Heather Jen dynamic where she's felt terrified of her and at her beck and call and at her will and all of this, I think that just came from like being used to being a follower, you know, in totally. their culture. Yeah, and that that's a great point. And I think it adds a lot of dimension to this mentality that they have surrounding casting her off because, you know, that's so ingrained in a lot of religions, but especially in, in Mormonism where you you violate the sacred oath or whatever it is. You're an apostate. You're cut off from your family. That's like exactly how Heather has a 
experience being treated by by her family right. members, and they all have these complex relationships with the church, whether they mm-hmm. like adhere to the Mormon faith or not. It's a very like complex relationship with with the culture of that area that is so um, bound to Mormonism mm-hmm. um, that it does make sense that they would just you know cast her off and be like, "Sorry, you're you're done. You're um, you're out of the church." But also taking the your fact, name out of the book, <laughs> right? But also the fact that they seemed so scarred by Jen specifically, like just I, they weren't even really giving specifics. And I've only watched twice. Sometimes I watch four times, and you guys can tell me if, if you picked up on any more. But I feel like they were just saying, like, we've been through this for three years with her. We dealt with this with her. We dealt with this. What What do you mean? Did you guys kind of grasp anything besides like being punched in the eye? What did they feel that they were dealing with like so hardcore that they deem Monica almost the same, and they just can't? Like, what do you guys think? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I I don't know. So I know obviously Angie had a complicated relationship with Jen because she had the drink poured on her, and I guess her shoes were also tossed off off the boat. Um, Jen just being like a very reactive person, I think, mm-hmm. would have made all of them feel like they had to walk on eggshells surrounding her. So I think right. that even if they didn't have a um, a direct like conflict with Jen, I think that they were still feeling like they were never able to, you know, have that trust between them and, and Jen. And, um, I think like a lot of the way that actually Whitney was talking to Mary this episode on, on the reunion was similar to how I think that a lot of the women experienced their relationship with, with Jen, where like they were, afraid of her but not like they were afraid of how she was going to react and Mm -hmm. that is kind of what made them stay at arm's length and not ever be able to have this um you know this this bond with them but the thing about jen that is different from mary is that jen had a lot more gravity like she was like the star at the center of this show and you weren't able to fully remove yourself from that relationship you were still like bound Mm. by her gravity in a way that mary um because she's like introverted and a bit of like an isolated character that was only filming in her house and uh it was very easy to just keep her at arm's length and not worry about her when she wasn't on camera that's so true that makes a lot of sense um, did either of you guys have any other highlights about the Salt Lake City reunion that we didn't get to? I guess just Monica's ignorance just sort of into, or sorry, no, I want to go with the the lying. Like as an overall highlight, I would say like several lies. And the main one I want to highlight is her saying that she said to producers that she was reality bunties because Andy shut that down real quick and she could have very easily come back and said, I spoke to so-and-so on such and such a date, receipts proof timeline. And she proceeded. Yeah. And she just said, okay, you know, like, and so there was just so many other, and the security footage, it was all just really creepy. And just it, like you said, it was sort of, it's sort of hard to parse out like what's the truth and what's not. So to me, it's just sort of like the lying was just very bizarre at this point, because it has been so many months since you have filmed, you've had all this time to (laughs) get, get your story together, you know? Yeah. Even when you were putting together that burn book, you didn't like think about what your timelines were going to be. Like you're actually going through all the evidence that's against you while you're, while you're doing that. That burn book was cringy. Like what? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it, I don't know what she was thinking, like how, how that was supposed to be cute or like what she was going for there with the first few pages. Like I know what the, like calling, I, I, I was very disturbed by that, honestly, but it just speaks to sort of her childish sort of stunted nature and the other stuff we've talked about in all of this and, and wanting that like validation, but not quite knowing how to go about it. Yeah, totally. And uh, you're right. It just like is an embodiment, like a physical, like token of her uh, juvenile state that she is, she's stuck in. One thing that we haven't really talked about that I wanted to bring up about the Salt Lake City reunion was I found it really interesting that um, the the housewife seemed to be talking about like all all these rules. There was a specific moment where um, Andy kind of scolds Monica, maybe scolds, not the right word, but says, well, you can't like say something on camera and then be like, well, I wasn't the one that said it because you're the one that said it on camera. And that kind of speaks to like, I think it's a very basic rule of housewives. Like 
what happens on camera is like what is canon. That's why, you know, when we saw Whitney kind of steering Monica to bring up Angie's rumors earlier in this season, that it was like she really didn't want to be the person to bring it up. She wanted Mm -hmm. Monica to say it on camera. Whereas like Monica's perspective is very much like the perspective of someone that is running like a Bravo account. And we saw her articulate her position of being like, well, I didn't like say these things about Heather. I was showing what, what, what uh, Jen had said about Heather. And it was very much this, like, you know, I'm doing the work to expose. And that's really like, I think a lot of the sentiment around a lot of, bravo accounts when they retweet things or they're like drumming up old dms or whatever and putting it out there and like then just kind of like washing their hands of it i think that that's like um a very like common mindset and it was interesting in this reunion specifically to see those two perspectives play at odds and it felt like it was like a trial like the trial of people that are inserting themselves into this drama like the the bravo con style fans that go to bravo con to like try to get a hold of the mic and you know call Tom Sandoval a, a liar and like bring their own receipts to the party and really in, actually insert themselves as opposed to just, you know, thinking about inserting themselves in, into these situations. So I thought that this was a really interesting like trial of those two perspectives. It is. And it also, I don't know about you guys, but created in what I've seen in the rebel community of us asking each other, like, are we trolls? <laughs> like, Cause you start asking yourself, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, what makes a troll or what makes this? Because people online are talking about, like, is it what she did really that big a deal? And then people are having those conversations. Well, if I had a friend in my friend group who wasn't talking shit about me, but was talking shit about my other friend who deserved it, how would I feel about that? Especially if I didn't know that they were doing it or something to that regard. You know, it just makes people feel uncomfortable to have someone in their circle, like, who's doing things like that. But it's created that conversation of, like, you know, like, what's a troll and what's like where that where that line is i guess and some people have even talked about just the anonymity anonymity online right but a lot of us do that for our jobs you know like a lot of us have like actual real jobs outside of this so a lot of people are anonymous for that but what makes what makes a troll you know like is it just saying like whitney looks stupid today and am i you know am i making whitney cry at home like maybe yeah Yeah, I I think that it's like a conversation that needs to happen. And it's great that this is generating that conversation because it definitely is not something that has happened in, in the oh, past. And oh. to get like Andy, who is really this figurehead in the community to be like, I always tell people that the the social media is the hardest part. And um, it, it kind of, be. yeah, it, it definitely like put out the or it it made clear the impact of all these social media accounts and like the way that the fandom operates but it does feel like it it is something that is very specific to the bravo community but it's also vice versa like they are just as obsessed with us as we are with them they very much care about what we think to and that's obvious right like they all knew what reality von tees was a five thousand follower account right like they're all all the people in the bravo community if not watch our stories, follow us, communicate with us. And it's just not something you see in the real celebrity world. Like yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is not going to like comment on my photo, but Craig Conover might, right? It's it's fascinating. Yeah. It's fa- <laughs> yeah, I just find totally. this whole community so fascinating and it being its own separate sect of celebrity. Unless you guys have any other final thoughts, I want to move into Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So one thing that we like to do is a segment called Housewives in a Hurry, where you've got 20 seconds to identify the things that stand out in this in this episode. Um, so don't worry about trying to recap things chronologically. Just try to get through the core core things that, that stand out to you. And I'm going to start your timer right now. All right. Ladies go to Spain. They all bring glam. That's the first for Garcelle. Um, Sutton brings a man in a box. Um, the house that they're staying in is haunted and Crystal might be a liar. (laughs) Great. Did I do that in six seconds? Uh, (laughs) oh, there we go. (laughs) I thought I did. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, excellent recap. I uh, I I found that there were some like really interesting motifs in this, but I'm curious what you guys thought if you had anything that stood out in terms of how this story was told. I kind of felt like this episode was one of those where nothing really happens until more so the second half. Um and I think it really centered mostly and focused on the Anne-Marie and, and Crystal of it all. And I don't know about you guys, and I find this kind of interesting, or it's the first thing that came to my mind when, you know, Crystal sort of being called out by Anne-Marie. Lucy, Lucy, apple juicy sort of came to mind here because oh, okay, yeah, Crystal's being called out and no one seems like no one seems shocked that Crystal may have said these things. Do you know what I'm saying? And that was the same thing in the Lucy, Lucy, apple juicy situation where the idea that Lisa might have gone to the press, everyone just sort of felt like, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably what happened. So it, I just found that sort of interesting and an interesting theme as well, because it's also like, not only did they think she said that, yeah, that sounds like something Crystal would say, they didn't also didn't seem to care. They all seemed to go to bed fine and didn't seem it didn't seem to bother them that much. They almost wanted her to be like, shut the fuck up. Like, we're yeah. moving on. You know, I just so that that was interesting to me. Yeah, I I also keyed in on on this. I feel like I like that there was a lot of different like perspectives on this in mm-hmm. like um, both like in terms of the spectrum of whether this is something she actually said or not or, um, you know, kind of uh, perpendicular to that, whether that's something she actually believes or not. Mm. And um, one of the things that I identified as kind of the, the core like theme and motif of of this episode was this idea of like unfinished business. And I love that we used like ghosts as a mechanism in here, because I think that ghost stories are always about like unfinished business. And it, when I was thinking about this, it kind of brought to mind um, one of the most famous ghosts, uh, Casper, uh, no, uh, King uh, King Hamlet, which is um, a a ghost that is like uh, an actual like manifestation of, lingering pain like that's it's kind of like this this symbol of like of this pain that is experienced by by hamlet and unrest under under the surface which is something that we've kind of like built up to this season so far on beverly hills like Mm -hmm. we um we saw like some resolution with them you know being fine at this like this wine tasting event that they had and we got some resolution between sutton and Anne marie before all of a sudden all of that like rears its its ugly head again at this dinner and um i feel like with with crystal as well she's got this this history of conflict with all the women and um a lot of that comes back to this idea that crystal thinks she's better than everyone mm-hmm. and there was all these perspectives on whether or not that's true which is like similar to the perspectives that you see within hamlet where you know uh, some people think that it's just a hallucination, whereas others see it. And some think that it's uh, uh, some think that the ghost is actually like um, uh, a divine uh, presence that is like a, a symbol of the unrest within the the court. And others think that it is actually the embodiment of, you know, King Hamlet. And so I just really found that there was like some interesting parallels there, which I I don't know how much of that is intentional or not, but anytime like a theme comes Mm -hmm. to mind and, and you get like a little bit of, um, of overlap there, I find that it's, it's really interesting to see where those parallels exist. And like, I mean, Crystal's husband, Rob Minkoff, uh, directed Lion King, which is famously an adaptation of Hamlet. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's that connection there too. Totally. And we also see like the theme of resentment here, right? Like you just feel it in the bones of these women just at different times. And like you see Dorit sort of talking about Crystal's marriage, calling her a child bride. And while she was doing yeah. that, we were working. And at that point, she hasn't even said, Chris- well, at this point, Crystal has said, I have not said that. And in a conversation i believe that happens after dorit's confessional or in the way that it we see it she says to i forget who she's talking to i think erica she says no i don't think dorit i don't think crystal said that so if you don't think crystal said that but then you seem very resentful of the fact that she got married young and especially at a time when you have openly admitted you're having relationship issues right so you definitely see that resentment there you see it between Anne marie and crystal um 
I feel like I'm starting to feel it between Dorit and Kyle because like there's these underhanded comments about like the kind of clothes that um, yeah. Kyle has brought. And then she makes that comment to the camera, like, Oh, is she wearing these clothes to like try to land a new husband? Like yeah. <laughs> when Kyle sees that, which I'm sure she has now, I think, I think they're done. Right. So I feel like there's just a lot of, I think that's why we have an explosion, right? Cause there's just like, a lot yeah. of pent up tension and resentment that I feel here. Yeah, totally. Um, so let's, let's get into our, our highlights from this episode. Uh, Dana, what, what were your highlights here? For me, Erica being disappointed in the women's reaction to her win. So from what I understand, the earrings were taken from her and they were $750,000 each. I think, I think they may have been 1.2. I don't know. The number keeps changing. They get taken from her as part of what's going on with Tom, and then she appeals it. That's confusing to me in in general, like why you even went through that process anyways. But okay, she appeals it, and then the court (laughs) says, we can't prove that the money used to buy these earrings were bought with that client money, so we're going to put this in a different court. And she considers that a win. I And I sort of side with Garcelle, because she sort of makes the point right after I thought it, (laughs) and she says like, like, well, why do we even want the earrings? And why didn't you just give them up to begin with? Right. So, you know, the women aren't ex- and she's, and she's sort of, she's thinking about it in her mind a different way than they're thinking about it. Right. So like totally. the highlight to me is that she's thinking like, okay, you guys were so passionate about like what was going on with me last year, but then I have this win and you guys don't care. No, it's not that they don't care. And I think that they have been very, um, you know, they have stuck by you through like a lot of shitty things that you have said, you know, just being like, I don't care about victims basically, but yeah. You didn't buy the earrings yourself, sorry, to the best of my recollection. So who, like, why do you even want earrings that Tom had bought you anyway, right? And even if they weren't bought with those gains, don't you just want to help victims in general? Like, no one's going to put you, blame you if, no one's going to take that as an admission of guilt, you know, if you gave up those earrings. And the fact that you're continuing to go through appeals through courts to get a pair of earrings back seems very trivial to me in the very grand scheme of what she's been through you know like and it actually makes you seem more vapid and shallow like i was really loving her this season until i saw that i'm like give it up the fact that you're not (laughs) giving it up means that you maybe haven't changed i don't know that's my highlight yeah i i feel like erica wants vindication right that's like the whole thing that she wants and she wants to yeah be vindicated and she sees this as like some sort of official recognition that she is like not responsible and so she is expecting there to be like a parade held being like oh you're right i guess like you didn't know but um you know when she doesn't get that she's really disappointed like you can see that she can't wait to give this news she does it first thing in the morning when everyone gets up and everyone's talking about something else and she changes the subject and yeah no no one cares and you're right she's thinking (laughs) about this in in a completely different way than anyone else is And that's just because she just has a different viewpoint. But that's just who she is. I mean, look at the very first episode where she's like, empathy. How, how do you get that? You know, like, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. If, if, you, if, if we're starting there, I don't know how we're ever going to get to the even <laughs> place. You know, that is just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because I thought that earlier in this episode that we saw some like real growth from her because Mm -hmm. when we got that scene in the sprinter van where they're playing Sutton's game like who knows me the best and Erica actually wins Mm -hmm. she's she like knows the name of her cats or her son (laughs) like the what the third car is wait a minute it's like oh when did Sutton get a third kid like when did that happen (laughs) was it just me that's that's an unknown child right (laughs) okay just wanted to make sure that was just me like your middle child (laughs) Do you know how many of these housewives have secret children that we don't know about? Lola has a brother <laughs> that no one knows about and she won't name him. It's, it's just bizarre. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Meredith has three um, kids. Yeah. But how, how is it that, that Erica knew what yeah. like Sutton's third car was, but didn't realize that Tom was embezzling all this money? I don't know. That's <laughs> you know what I, to me. Yeah, it's funny because I've never obviously been in a situation like that, but there's just so many of these that you see now, right? Like where people even say the same to Lala, right? Like, how did you not see it? And maybe, maybe just women have their blinders on when they see a situation that seems good at the outset. And I mean, I've definitely been in situations where you kind of ignore the bad and you keep remembering the good or you keep trying to think about the good because you will hope it goes back to that. I mean, there's always a good stage in a relationship. There's got to be something that got you married, right? So maybe they're yeah. just like really trying to focus on that and really put blinders to everything else. But it's 
but it seems much more common than we think. Like I, I'm hearing this a lot, like women just constantly saying like, I didn't realize what I was in until I was out of it. Yeah, totally. Uh, did you have any other highlights from Beverly Hills? What are little people? Like specifically, let's say, are they also ghosts? Are they just smaller ghosts? Child ghosts? Village of the Damned? Like, what is what are the little people? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They they definitely like were threatening seeming from (laughs) the perspective that that we got. So yeah, uh, (laughs) I I love that they did set this in like a haunted house. I don't think we've ever had something like that before. And like so many people are afraid of things like that. So it was a, it was a fun, (laughs) yeah, it was fun, but it's not, I I feel bad for the women a little bit. Usually they get these nice fancy vacations like Mexico and this and that, and they got like a haunted house, but (laughs) cool for the viewer for sure. Uh, Sandy, what were your highlights? Uh, Definitely the, the Erica stuff that you guys mentioned and just especially looking back at the um, flashbacks of her, she really looked unwell last season compared to where she is now. So it was interesting to get a taste of that. And I guess the meds are working and the therapy is working. But it, as you said, it was interesting to see that she still really is keeping has, seeing it in the same way, but maybe just tamping down some of that chaoticness that was getting out. So that's interesting and TBD. You know, with that being said, therapy is a process, right? So I don't know how long she's been in it, but, you know, we're all working on ourselves always. Nobody's ever perfect. So good for her for doing the work. I'll give her that for sure. You're not going to just become changed or whatever. Like, it's exactly. She she went through a traumatic thing. I mean, that was not, no one would want to to deal with that. <laughs> so I can hardly imagine. And I, yeah. sh- I think the, the earrings mean something to her a little more than just a pair of earrings. So we have to accept that they mean a lot to her. They mean they're symbolic. Oh, you know what? Maybe they are, right? Like I, that didn't even occur to me. Maybe there is something symbolic about them or something sentimental about them. Or maybe that was like a really important day between her and Tom, a really, really good day. And that's the one memory she wants to cherish. I mean, it could be anything. I would just, I'm curious to know what it is. Yeah, I could. Or maybe they're just like a symbol of her responsibility that she yeah. wants to make mm. sure that she like keeps like the fact that she, um, you know, whether she's culpable in this or not and like whether she could have done anything or not. Like she mm-hmm. wants to like she's she's lost everything and she's just trying to grasp back like exactly. some piece of like her autonomy that that she feels right. like she has lost and this person that she used to be so um yeah i think that like even if they weren't necessarily um significant prior to this they have definitely like become a symbol for her and one that she is really desperate to to keep totally exactly um, otherwise I've, I, w- I noted when they had the, the little tag saying like the ladies Airbnb, I was like, oh, they're just like doing a casual Airbnb situation. How, how low key of them. <laughs> but when I, when we were introduced to the Airbnb host who let them know their dinner would be served soon, I got the impression it was a little bit more of a upgrade than the, the things I've experienced at Airbnb. Uh, so anyways all good I loved I also loved the ghosts and the the beautiful old home or kind of weird modern slash old like Mm. kind of discombobulating as far as because it was yeah um I'm in like a Tudor England period these days and thinking a lot about old homes and so I was like this feels weird I don't know if it I don't know maybe the little people are confused too when they see the half modern decor but I would have asked more about what they were if I were if I were there. Like, tell me exactly what little people are, please. Yeah, like uh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I thought that this this location was interesting in how it was presented too. I feel like in a lot of cases when we see the the places that they're staying on these trips, we get a bit more of a like a mental mapping of it when it's shown. But here it was, like you said, it was very disconnected and like hard to place. It felt almost like um, almost like a labyrinth and trying mm-hmm. to get a sense of the, the space. And I think that that was intentionally adding to the sort of confusion and spookiness of, of this atmosphere. Totally, totally. And even the women couldn't find their own rooms. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, Sandy, did you have any other highlights? Oh, yeah. Just a small mention that Garcelle called out Sutton's hat as terrible and then asked who made it. And I was wondering if that is good or bad for the designer of this hat. 
<laughs> I mean, any any mention is like is like good press, right? She like kind of mumbled the press. answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, so I guess we'll see see how it looks uh, when she when she wears it. Oh, I guess we do get the beginning of that day. Was she wearing it at the beginning mm-hmm. of the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it was unremarkable to me the the hat when she was wearing it. It had holes in it, sort of. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have strong opinions on hats. And then I want to also give a shout out to the ashes storyline because I love that. Um, mm-hmm. it fit with the sort of eeriness of the vibe of this, of this episode and was also kind of comic relief at the same time with the Ziploc angle. So I enjoyed that and always enjoy and that's Sutton. so Sutton. Yeah. That's so yeah. Sutton to bring a man in a Ziploc <laughs> bag. That's of course. Right. Of course. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. That, that was great. I also, I, I found that, uh, Avi or Avi, mm-hmm. he's, he's just so been funny. like a really interesting side character. This dynamic that him and Sutton have is really interesting. And we got some moments earlier this season where she wasn't exactly treating him the best, <laughs> but they seem to have this, like this, like very, like, kind of like catty relationship back mm-hmm. and forth and yeah. and they seem to like thrive in in that dynamic mm-hmm. so i i like that and i like that we got him like holding up the ziploc bag wearing gloves like it was csi and yeah really really yes. funny storyline it was really spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> yes i was gonna say i would watch a spinoff with sutton and her friends because she's just so lovely and and yeah, it was the ashes were set up so well where like you didn't know if this guy was alive or what, what, what how was she bringing him? Is it his son? <laughs> yeah. So it was really cute. And also how cool is Sutton? She was a dancer. Like what a cool life. She, she's yeah. like legit yeah. awesome. Like she's just the best. Just love her. I wonder yeah. if we actually missed out. This was my first thought when I was watching that. Like, did we miss out on so much of Sutton's like backstory because she started as a friend of, you know, because we don't get a lot of your backstory when you're a friend of you just, come yeah, in and out. we don't get a lot of your family. And so then she becomes a full-time cast member and it's kind of too late to start like asking her questions about her past. Right. So yeah. Oh, I was just sort of like, Oh, I didn't know she was a dancer. Oh, I didn't know she did this or yeah. We're learning. You have a third child. Didn't know that. (laughs) I'm learning a lot about you this season. (laughs) Yeah. I think one thing that this, like this revelation that she was a dancer really, um, uh, what was interesting to me about it was the fact that we already know that like Sutton has come from like the South and she has this, like um, she comes from a place where there is this like strong social code and Mm -hmm. to learn that she was like a dancer in New York, that is kind of like defying that a little bit, but that's Mm -hmm. a separate, um, that's a, that's a separate social structure that has its own very like rigid, rigid code. And to see this personality that, that Sutton has, where she, you know, is like instinctually trying to like break out of those social codes and be like a little bit of a rebel, but she still has like insecurities that are defined by it. Like we, we hear her talk about how um, this uh, Mercer guy was one of the people that appreciated that she was like quirky and never called her weird. And we can see through how she conducts herself in like the dating scene that she's insecure about seeming like she's weird. And um, she's got this, like she does to a degree embrace her like quirkiness, but it's also like a little bit of a insecure relationship that she's got with it. So um, yeah, a lovely piece of, of color to Sutton's character, I think. And like, how can you not? I mean, personally, and I've sort of been through the same situation as her when you're going on a date one after date one after date one, you're like, is it my personality? <laughs> right. So when, she, when you have someone in your life who just like loves you for who you are, like, wow, that's such a blessing when, if, when you feel like such an outcast, you know, or, and, and to even just call her quirky, other people call her quirky, like pretty often, I think on the cast, right? Like, so I don't yeah. think it's unbeknownst to her that people think she's a little, little off color, a little off, right? So, you know, for her to find someone who, but at the same time, and ugh, I don't want to go there, you guys, but I, I might just go there a smidge. Like, maybe I just watched too many documentaries, but the way she described their relationship to me just seemed nice, but like, uh, odd. This is an adult man who, you mm-hmm. know, was inviting this young dancer over to his home and cooking for her. And she has his ashes, like, that just seems like a bit, and you know, in that, in that, you know, you talk about, you know, the New York dancing having its own social structure, but there's also social structures in, in like sports, right? And like you watch documentaries about like cheer and the Dr. Larry Nasser stuff in gymnastics, right? There's, there's that relationship between 
um, your men, I guess like the mentor, the mentee or the the trainer, the whatever. And it can sometimes cross a line. And, and she seemed, it didn't seem like it. She seemed so passionate about him in such a positive way. It just made me feel a little icky. Yeah. Anytime that you see that sort of like power structure, it, I mean, we didn't get a ton of context on that and, you know, it's hard to like really say, but when a professional relationship where there is like a power dynamic gets to a point where it is so personal that you have their ashes, it definitely like you question how that line from professional to personal was, was crossed for Mm -hmm. sure. Or if, you know, I just, it just made me feel a bit weird, but she seems to only have pleasant memories of him. So that's, that's good. <laughs> you know, like I just, <laughs> it just, I felt like I was walking into a documentary that was about to go south that started, started beautifully and then turned into like, and then she was murdered by him or something to that. Effect. <laughs> Sorry um, to bring the mood down. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, do you guys have any other highlights from Beverly Hills? I, okay, so my highlight is actually the very, very end because sort of Crystal is at Anne Marie's mercy because she's oh, carsick yeah. and her veins are coming out and um, her hands are swelling up and she doesn't know what's wrong with her. And the only medical professional in the room is, hello, Anne Marie. <laughs> so <laughs> I am so excited to see what comes of that. That is such a highlight to me. Yeah. And I love that we have like that this took place at the top of this mountain that they're actually like physically climbing that there's all this like um, resistance between this to build this relationship between Crystal and Anne-Marie and that we see an actual like climbing of a mountain and having it come to a head at the top is uh, is just a really interesting like physical (laughs) metaphor, I think. Totally. Um, they're, they're literally, there's no help. <laughs> they're on yeah. the top of a mountain, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. You can't write better TV. Um, I think we covered most of what I wanted to talk about. We've got a little space to come back and circle around. Was there any sort of weird little pieces that you uh, saw that you wanted to call out? Um, I guess I just want to say I probably that Crystal did probably say all of those things. Um, I guess we didn't really touch on the fact that there were those flashbacks of her making similar comments, um, you know, just being like, oh, and these words are too big for you guys. So I definitely think that she said those things. It would be weird. It's, it's sort of funny to watch the women sort of just go from like, oh, Anne-Marie's so annoying to be like, well, she wouldn't make up something like that completely. So, you know, they're sort of siding with somebody they barely know because they know Crystal would say something like that. So... Crystal, why are you saying stuff like that? That's <laughs> don't do that. That's really rude, especially to a complete stranger. Like, why would even Crystal? <laughs> even Crystal did not sound at all convincing or convinced when she said, "I did no. not say that." You know, I wouldn't say. <laughs> and I've actually taken courses on um, like interviewing and how to tell if people are lying and stuff. And when when you ask someone a question and they come back at you with a question, especially if that question is, "Why would I do? Why would I do that?" I don't know. I'm just asking you if you did it, right? Like, I'm not, you yeah. know, that's actually a tell of a lie, that, like, in, like, that police use. <laughs> just yeah. letting you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I definitely um, think she's lying, but the women don't really seem to care that <laughs> Yeah, this this actually reminds me of, I guess, last week's episode of Real Housewives of Miami, where uh, uh, Adriana like came clean that she was the one behind at the Anna ambush and everyone was still mad at Nicole anyways. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that there was so many people in the group was like, well, we don't care that Crystal said that because of course she said that because she feels that way. And yeah. we all come to terms with it. Yeah. It's funny what they decide they can come to terms with and what they decide they can't. And that takes us back to Salt Lake, right? Cause it's like, what can you tolerate and what can't you? Cause people keep yeah, saying, totally. did we tolerate all these, you tolerated Jen Shaw and all her crimes. It's like, mm, not really like, you know, it's, so it's, to each their own, I guess. We each have our our breaking point, our limits with people yeah. or what we need in people, right? I mean, and there's also the level of friendships that you're at. I mean, I have a lot higher expectations for, like, my best friend than I do for, like, more of an acquaintance, right? So. Yeah, totally. Um, Sandy, did you have anything weird that you wanted to call out? I don't think so. Cool. Yeah, I, I think we covered most of what I wanted to say. I do want to call out a couple more, like, little paranormal things, I think. Uh, I liked that we got this moment of Erica doing her vocal exercises and it was like, oh, she needs an exorcism. Um, 
that that was really fun. Um, and also Storm, I am convinced mm-hmm. that he's a ghost. I am waiting for next <laughs> next episode where they ask about Storm. And they're like, and someone's like, Storm died ten years ago. <laughs> that is amazing. Nice. I would love that, and I wouldn't put it past the housewives. <laughs> That's not. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> That reminds me on the paranormal. Erica can smell spirits. Can we please oh, know more? Yeah. Like, why are there all these threads <laughs> in paranormal that little people, oh, who knows, smell spirit? Can, what kind of smells? What do you smell right now? Like, why are they not giving us more of that? Yeah, I, I yeah. didn't know she was sort of, she dabbled in that sort of thing. I mean, she definitely has talked about that. Wasn't she say she was like a general in a previous, or she was a small boy in a previous life or something like, like that? Like a Roman so boy or like a, or, something, yeah, something yeah like I don't that. know. <laughs> but I, know. I didn't know that she <laughs> considers herself sort of in tune with the the other world so but yeah i want to know what you smell is it burnt toast um do you guys get that joke as you're canadian (laughs) no yes remember this oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's what came to mind put up Um, the clip craig what is it mrs gold burnt toast dr penfield i can smell burnt toast yeah, yeah. <laughs> I smell burnt toast but um yeah that's that's totally bizarre but I'm so into that like and a lot of the women are too like into the a little bit of the paranormal so it's it's actually funny that like Kyle for example is so into psychics and all those different forms but like these women are terrified of this house right yeah they want to speak to like their dead mother but not I guess dead strangers fair enough yeah if, if Erica was a Roman boy. How come she thought that the 14th century was Jesus times? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just dead silent, just being like, hmm. <laughs> and Garcelle was talking about, you know, like what it's like in Haiti and how like you'll be you'll be told all these sort of like ghost stories and somebody dies, but they come back as a ghost and and all of these things. And it's just uh, she's talking about like voodoo and all of that. So, you know, and that all of that stuff starts to get, it brings up in uh, Potomac and it just gets like really messy over there. But yeah, it's, this was definitely, I love how they sort of integrated each of the women into a little bit of the paranormal activity. Yeah, totally. Um, before we wrap things up, I want to go through and uh, everyone has a chance to pick their all-stars from this episode. We'll start with you, Dana. Who, uh, who are your picks? I decided just sudden because this is sort of her trip. She sort of organized everything. She brought a man in a box. She, you know, <laughs> organized the rooms. I, I just sort of like how she led everything. And she was sort of just the center of the conversation and just sort of brought the group together. Um, and she also brought the drama. I think she 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 did her job this this episode. Really loved it. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. No notes. How, how about you, Sandy? <laughs> um. I didn't mind Erica in this episode. She had a few little moments and even her sort of strange expectations at the end was, was pretty, pretty interesting. So I'm going to give her a star. Awesome. So I've got three picks right now and it was hard to narrow them down to just three. <laughs> like all uh, of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Sutton for sure. I think that she was excellent. Just always dynamic. And we got more, about her character here. Mm-hmm. So I, I found that that was really compelling. Again, also bringing uh, um, someone's remains on this trip was was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Crystal is one of the standouts for me this season. I think that we're getting just a really compelling uh, picture of her that we haven't got an, up until this season. So um, to see her kind of grappling with when and where and how and if she should be standing up for herself in certain um, situations. And it was a bit of a, like a a contrast between um, the story that we have been seeing with her brother and how, Mm -hmm. you know, she has maybe asserted herself too much. Whereas, Mm. you know, previously in the, the social situations that she's in on this show, she hasn't done that enough. And she's kind of trying to find a balance here. So I'm just really liking how this is evolving and she, a standout for me and you know i think like as annoying and awful as Anne marie is uh she's like working hard i think she's probably gonna fizzle out and be a one and done housewife but um it is really interesting to have someone in here agitating and really like playing so hard that it is 
completely unsustainable. Um, this is something I think that we <laughs> also saw with like Noella when she was on Real Housewives of Orange County. She played the game so hard that it was like not sustainable to like come back for another season. And that kind of is what you'd mentioned about Monica, how she like played herself into, or she found herself in a position where she couldn't come back from. Mm-hmm. Um, in Monica's case, I don't think it was because she was playing the game so hard, but in uh, Anne Marie's case, it definitely is like, she is just, she's an agent of chaos. So I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating that. Can I give her a little kudos or a little defense just, just for the record. And I mentioned this on my podcast today as well. So I don't know if you guys remember Rachel Lindsay. She was the first African American bachelorette. So she is on a podcast called the morally corrupt podcast on the ringer reality feed. And she's actually good friends with Anne Marie. And so she actually said a little bit about it on the podcast and she's like, um, she believes that there was more filming with Anne Marie's family that was probably cut out because there's been allegations right. against Anne Marie's husband. Marcellus, yeah. um, and just uh, there was other things. Um, and it actually wasn't as focused on the esophagus as much as it seemed to be. And uh, <laughs> Rachel Lindsay is currently going through a divorce. And apparently, Anne Marie has just really been there for her and really reaching out to her and been a really, really good friend. So I just want to say that for the record. You know, we see what we see, right? We always do. We see yeah. these snippets and these clips. And I'm actually kind of worried this woman is going to lose her job, to be quite frank, with how much people are getting, like, upset, right, a- about this this stupid thing. So, you know, I worry for her a little bit and, and for her family and that kind of stuff, because at the end of the day, we have to remember she isn't a character. She is a real person. And so, yeah, totally. you know, if she isn't being a good friend to Sutton, but she's being good friends to her real friends, okay. Let's let's yeah. let let's let the office let's go. <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's let's move on, please. Yeah. <laughs> Put the esophagus in the sarcophagus. <laughs> nice, awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Dana. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Sure. You guys can find me on Instagram at brunch and bravo, and at I take bravo very seriously. You can find me on TikTok at I take bravo very seriously. And that's the name of my podcast. So you can follow me there as well. And you can um, listen to those anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Amazon, iTunes. Um, why did I say iTunes? Not iTunes. I don't know. iHeart. <laughs> and um, YouTube. So thank you guys so much. I really appreciate being on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Sandra, how about you? I am at Corporeal Curios on Instagram. And I'm Craig Midwinter. You can just find me at Bravo Outsider on Instagram, also on TikTok at Bravo Outsider. We're on X at Bravo underscore Outsider. Just go to our website. You can find links to everything. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on YouTube. That helps us out a ton. Uh, Leave a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. That helps us out a ton too. And just tell your friends about us. Until next week, keep on wifing.